Hey folks, welcome to episode 233 of the FLW podcast in Shaftesbury, Vermont. I'm Jody White, joined, as always, by Kyle Wood, who is in sunny Orlando, Florida. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, why are you in Florida? Seems like an odd time well, of year to go to Florida, famously a it's, state known for its heat. Yeah, it's actually the worst time of year to be in Florida, but uh, it's the 2019 ICAST show. And uh, I'm down here to see what's all new and hip and hot and cool. Cool. Did you know their uh, new product showcase is available on an app this year? Oh, what? It, it is. And I, also, I actually didn't know that. <laughs> it, and also online. Um, the online version... No, I couldn't find the online version. The app version, oh. not great. Uh, the searchability is a little bit lacking. Uh, ah. But, so I should just go check it out, like, per, you know, in person. Yeah, I would say do that. Maybe if they've got the online one working, that's the way to go. Or, alternately, um, don't even go and just sort of absorb uh, information, uh, which is what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, actually probably the better way to do it. Um but anyhow, we've got, aside from us uh, complaining and possibly being excited about iCast, we've got a good show this week, because uh, I already talked with Casey Scandal, and I did that about 7.30 this morning. I was enjoying a cup of coffee. I assume he was. Um, and that was good. I can vouch for that. It was definitely, I would say, a good interview. Excellent. And uh, you and I also get to wrap up the FLW tour season, which finished at Champlain, and we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about on that front. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we'll run down some BFL derbies and probably talk about iCast. Sound good? Yeah, I think uh, we got a, we got a good lineup here. All right. Well, uh, without further ado, here is Casey Scanlon. All righty. And now we are joined by Casey Scanlon, winner of the FLW Tour event on Lake Champlain, the season finale qualified for the FLW Cup as well. Casey, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jody. Appreciate it. Well, Casey, I want to I want to talk about Champlain first. Um <clears throat> and I guess the first way I want to talk about it is you told me I think that you needed to have a top 12 finish in order to make the cup at Champlain at Champlain and you went out and won the thing. So, have you ever gone into a tournament like with your back to the wall like that, where you knew exactly what you needed to do. You know, I'm sure I have over the years, Cody. But uh, you know that was that was pretty clutch right there. I knew I needed a big finish, and started the year off, you know, with some some really good finishes and some momentum, and just kind of lost it halfway through. So had my back against the wall, and was really fortunate to pull that one out. So it was. Uh, kind of an awesome ending to uh to the year for sure yeah yeah uh chad grigsby did it last year where he needed to be i think like second place or better or something like that to make the cup and then he went and won it on st Clair. and i remember writing about it like writing about this champlain tournament beforehand like well you know Chad Grigsby might need to do it again, and this lake has smallmouth, so we could see it happen two years in a row. And it wasn't smallmouth, and it wasn't Chad Grigsby, but it was somebody. So that was really kind of cool. Um, Absolutely, you know. And I and I've been in the opposite position that I can remember. You know, you're on the inside, and 
uh, of the cut line, whether it's, you know, the Forestwood Cup or the Classic or, you know, a TBF deal, you know, you're, you're inside, you're feeling kind of safe, but, uh, you know, you're, you're not quite there yet. So I, I've, I've done it the opposite way where I've, you know, kind of missed out by underperforming. And I feel like, you know, when you, you got nothing to lose and your, your back's against the wall that, you know, you step it up a little bit. You're definitely you're definitely not scared to finish last, so you, so you fish uh, you fish to win. Yeah, well, uh, so talking about that, you went and you fished tie, which is a long run, and that like inherently has some risk, even though boats and motors are way better these days than they were ten years ago. Um, sure. And like, you had never been to Champlain before, so or I think that that's what you said. So like, give me give yeah. me some of that process into just practice and. Just why you decided that was where you were going to call home during the tournament? Well, it just first of all, you you know, just from doing some research, you know that there's a lot of largemouth down that way, and they tend to be better sized, uh, and it tends to be you know the population down there seems to be predominantly largemouth, and so you know I had done done some research, and you know that some big bags come out of tie, and you know I fished pretty much all the Great Lakes and. Lake Champlain is, you know, right up there. It's a big lake. And, uh, you know, so, you know, knowing that, you're always afraid of the trip down there. Uh, you know, it's big water. And, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the risks with Ty is just uh, definitely one of the risks with Ty is, is getting down there and getting back. And, um, you know, we I went down there and practiced. I didn't really look at the forecast. We lucked out with the wind during the tournament big time. But went went into the tournament just trying to find, you know, bigger fish. And I launched my boat down there, thankfully, the first day of practice. And, um, you know, I felt like I could cover that water down there a little bit more efficiency, efficiently than the north end, which is a vast amount of water up there. So, you know, Ticonderoga is a little more confined. I knew it had big largemouth. And, you know, I was going to deal with the wind and waves later. You know, after the first day of practice, I saw that there was a lot of big fish down there. And I felt like the largemouth were really, really going to play in this tournament. So I actually went and practiced today up north, you know, looking for largemouth up there as well. And thankfully, we got the right conditions to make those the run down to tie because that's, you know, that's the big risk is can you catch them and, and get back? Yeah, I was talking with Ron Nelson, and he was like, you know, usually the guys that tie in a multi-day tournament, they're going to get two good days, and then they're going to have one day where it's bad. And that's the day where the guys up north can catch up a little bit. And it Absolutely. never happened. That, that that final day, first of all, the fishing was still great. And second, it happened on the last day. And by then, all the guys up north had been knocked out of it. So it right. was kind of, it, it was a really a perfect storm for Ty. And it was one of the first times in years, really, where we've had a major tournament on Champlain where the majority of the top 10 have come out of Ty, which was, it was cool. It was cool to see. It was a throwback. Um, but you, yeah, it was, uh, I was going to say, it it was really awesome to see that down there. You know, I mean, we didn't have as many boats (laughs) with the deal. So it was really the perfect storm. Yeah. And then you and Chris Brazier, uh, like you both made the top 10 and you room with Chris, right? So like he kind of, and I know he likes to fish at Thai, so he kind of helped you out on that too, right? Absolutely. You know, going into the tournament, we had talked a little bit, Chris had fished, a tournament or two on Champlain in the past. And I know he had a really good finish at 
and Ticonderoga at one of them. And uh, so we we went ahead and, and booked a hotel room. It's a long it's a long drive uh, from Plattsburgh down to Ty. So we went ahead and you know booked a hotel room down there for you know a day or two of practice uh, ahead of time. And um, you know me and Chris work together well. We we both fish very similar. So um, you know we we launched our boats down there the first day of practice, and uh, you know we called each other a couple hours into it. And, and, um, you know, we had both had some really big bites and really, really hadn't figured it out yet, but we felt like, you know, we were, we were sitting on top of a load of fish and just hadn't figured out how to catch them yet. Cause we were getting some big bites and just not a lot of them the first day, but, you know, we kind of, uh, kept in contact and, you know, we did our own thing and fished, uh, you know, different areas, but, uh, we definitely tried to clue each other in on what they were doing and the baits that they were on and, and everything else so um it was really awesome way to end the seasons both of us making the cup and and making the top 10 and and uh now now we're kind of game planning for the forest wood cup down there in uh, hot springs for sure um i guess talk let's go into the actual fishing on champlain because you kind of right. i know you had to change every day and i would imagine that either today or tomorrow folks will be able to watch day five and be and like really dial in on this but like sure you uh you kind of you had to do a variety of things it wasn't like you just got down there and you started flipping one weed bed every day which like in years past that's sometimes how it went like you would run down and you would sit on a dot and you'd catch you know 10 fish and turn around um but you kind of had to hunt and peck a little bit um and move around and it was it was kind of it was really impressive that every day you sort of adapted. Yeah, and it was one of those deals um, you didn't have a whole lot of time to adapt, and um, so I was trying to take whatever clues that they gave me, and uh, you know try to make those adjustments as quick as possible so you can kind of maximize your time, and and that just came to just you know trust in what you were doing uh, and. And so the first day, and luckily the bite was good enough down there where you could get those clues and kind of make those adjustments. Um, and, you know, first day of the tournament, the fish were, and when I found a lot of them in practice, they're more or less keying on, on uh, you know, rocky banks on kind of the current breaks. So points were real key, little turns and stuff like that. And most of the areas I was fishing, you know, had some kind of cover, whether it was, you know, uh, docks or wood cover or irregularities in the rock. But the most important thing by the end of the tournament ended up being um, the inside grass lines that were close to these rocks that I was fishing. So um, you know, this started off, and I had a multiple, uh, you know, multiple areas that I was fishing. And, you know, they all had a little bit different color, uh, cover in them. But, you know, my primary areas featured, um, you know, rocky banks with an inside grass line. So as the tournament progressed, those fish moved off of the rocks and uh, became more and more associated with the grass. And, um, you know, and a lot of that had to do with the water falling, um, you know, and the grass was growing up, you know, it was getting healthier every day, it seemed like, um, and it was getting more and more topped out every day and more visible as the water was falling. So I think those fish were just kind of moving off their spawning bed and kind of transitioning into that grass. You know, and I had a, you know, a secondary pattern of kind of going back on some of these shallow flats where they would 
they would typically spawn and I would, I would throw a half ounce trophy bass company swim jig, you know, just a black and blue swim jig through, uh, you know, through, through the reeds and, and taller grasses, uh, that were mixed in with dollar pads and stuff like that. And you'd see the holes where you think they would spawn. And I'd kind of reel my jig around those holes and catch some of those fish that I believe were spawning or guarding fry. And, um, you know, by, by the end of the tournament, those fish, I think were, were, uh, trying to leave those areas as well. You know, the final day I caught some fish on a swim jig, but you know, that bite started off really, really good. Uh, you know, my first day of practice and was, you know, everything was just kind of changing and I was fortunate enough to get some bites every day that kind of clued me into what the fish were doing and, uh, just kind of changed with them. But, you know, I threw a lucky strike pal stick every day, which is like a Cinco style bait in black and blue. And I use lightweights, you know, like a, you know, quarter ounce to three sixteenths ounce tungsten. And I'd slowly fish those points, you know, holes in the grass and, uh, areas where maybe a fish had come up and missed a swim jig or something like that. So I'd slow down in areas with uh, some fish in them with, with that bait, uh, cover some ground with the Trophy Bass Company swim jig. And, um, you know, uh, my mainstay throughout the tournament, um, you know, that, that produced a lot of my fish was, you know, a vibrating jig, just a 3 8 ounce vibrating jig. I had a, you know, fluke-style trailer on the back. I also had a Lucky Strike lucky swim trailer on the back and um they they really uh ate that um vibrating jig for me uh, pretty much every single day um i just you know had to keep up on their locations whether it was uh on the inside or outside edge of the, the rock or, or uh, i'm sorry the grass or right up against the bank on the rocks you know that that changed every day as far as the chatter rate that uh, went but you know, those three baits were pretty much my staple. I, I mixed in a Lucky Strike square bill a little bit. <clears throat> I think I caught my biggest fish in the tournament on a black and blue bass post those two. So I kept a variety of rods on my deck and just I just kept moving and shaking. And, and uh, you know, luckily I was able to make the right moves throughout the event. For sure, for sure. <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was really cool to see because I, you know, as someone who – follows Champlain and fishes Champlain as much as I do. It's been a while since Ty's played like that, and it was cool to see someone go down and catch him like that. It was also, it was fun to see someone, you know, fishing that inside stuff, because a lot of times those summer tournaments, when they're in July, they're not on that inside edge, but you guys hit it at the, right. at the time where you could do that, and it, it was cool. And It seems like probably like fishing inside grass is probably a little bit of an under like maybe an underfished thing by regular folks because it's easy to just roll in and sort of see the point on the outside and see the extreme edges of the grass and think all right that's where i should be but you were kind of catching them as they were transitioning out to that stuff you know maybe where they'll be now but right then you kind of picked up on that and and that was that was neat to see for sure yeah, and, and I think it is, uh, you know, something that's not looked for as much, uh, maybe that inside grass line, but it's one of my favorite things to look for when I'm fishing grass, and I feel like it's a lot higher percentage. Usually usually that strike zone, or I guess, you know, basically the area that those fish are going to be in, I feel like is a lot smaller. You know, that inside grass edge, you know, it might only be a foot from the bank so let's say you have a riprap bank going down there and you've got a nice little two or three foot zone you know just where there's no grass 
you know, from that riprap, and that's where they're all going to be. So on an outside edge, you have more area, it seems like, to cover fishing-wise, where, you know, that inside edge that I was fishing, you know, it was probably, you know, 15, you know, good boat length off the bank probably. But, you know, it gave me a good zone. I knew that those fish were, you know, kind of hanging on that uh, inside edge to the bank. And so I was able to make casts to the bank. You know, I'd, I'd cast one or two to the bank, and then I'd throw down the edge of that inside grass. So to me, it's easier to fish, um, you know. And um, I feel like the strike zone uh, for those fish is is a little bit better. You can put your bait in front of them easier. For sure. And it being shallower, too, that helps because you don't have to, Absolutely. you know, you don't have to wait for something to fall. It just, you, you plunk it in and it's there, you know. <laughs> It's on the fish. Absolutely. Just a lot more efficient, it feels like, to me, fishing that inside line. So, For sure. Well, so your season, I'm going to transition off of Champlain, um, but right. uh, as much as probably you don't want to do that because it's not, I mean, you don't win tour events all the time. Nobody does, <laughs> unless you're maybe Brian Thrift or Scott Martin. Then they're like, yeah, whatever. That's right. Been there, done that. <laughs> um, but uh, you had like... You had, when you put it all together, especially with your win at the end, you had a really solid season. You know, you made, let's see, you made three cuts. Um, that's, I mean, making a cut more, almost half the time, that's pretty good uh, when you when you sit down and think about it. Um, sure. And, of course, you're going to the cup. How did, how did you feel like your season went overall? You know, um, <clears throat> starting off, made a couple top 30 cuts. Um, you know, had some good momentum, went in a big bag at Lake Toho, which was really fun. And, uh, you know, was feeling real good about the season and, uh, you know, feeling real great about the schedule. We, you know, had two top thirties and then I believe we came back to Grand Lake in Oklahoma, which is a lake that I'm very familiar with. You've got an edge there. Had a lot of, yeah, had a lot of success in the past and, uh, you know, had a great practice at Grand, thought I was dialed in. Um, you know, and, and did not have a good tournament. Um, you know, really just didn't get the bites. I felt like I fished good. I felt like I fished the areas I needed to fish in. I just, man, I was, I just didn't get the bites. It was a, and, and Grand was weird. It was a timing issue. You know, there's a lot of spots on that lake that consistently produce fish. And it was weird. You'd you'd be the second, third guy to go down a place, you know, and, the fourth or fifth guy, you'd watch him go down the same stretch of bank with a spinner bait, pretty similar to what you were throwing, and he'd catch a couple. So Grand was a frustrating tournament. Had me kind of shaking my head and, you know, just didn't catch him. Uh, Cherokee, uh, let's see, we hit, we had Seminole. Uh, Seminole, another one, had a great practice. Um, you know, a de- decent first day. I was right there in contention after the first day to, you know, I think I was in the check line, so... Uh, just, man, I just didn't get the bites there either. Didn't make the right adjustments on the water, you know, really didn't change with the fish. Cause, uh, uh, you know, again, another one of those good practice, bad tournaments kind of deal. And then Cherokee kind of missed the boat there. I was on a, me and Chris kind of, uh, bucked the trend and we didn't mess with the smallmouth too much. We went, uh, went up the river there and found some really good largemouth, And it seemed like, they just spawned and got smaller overnight. We went from catching, you know, quality pre-spawn fish to, you know, a bunch of uh, a bunch of skinny males that were post-spawn and uh, 
Meanwhile, I, I every smallmouth in the lake had decided to spawn. <laughs> exactly. And so it was, uh, yeah, and I had no idea that was going on. So I'm up there struggling and just catching the ones I don't need to catch. And then I came out to that main lake, you know, with an hour to kill the final day. And, yeah, the smallmouth fishing was awesome and not very hard. So yeah. totally missed the boat there. Um, and then, you know, and then uh, Chickamauga. And was catching them, had a, you know, was having a good event. And that was one that was, you know, just the weights were tight and uh, you couldn't afford to, you know, slip up too much. And I lost, I lost two really big fish that, that hurt me and uh, that, you know, cost me some substantial points right there. And, you know, it was just, uh, you know, those, that middle of the season there, I just, I uh, felt like I was fishing well in a lot of those events and just, not getting the job done so uh, you know with going into that last event you know disappointed looking uh looking at the cup from from the outside uh, you know i knew i needed a big finish and uh you know i kind of just uh I, I put my head down and and uh really went for it at that last event and thankful that it worked out because uh, the forestwood cup's an awesome event and uh, something you definitely don't want to miss out on. It's the goal going into the season. And uh, after doing a little bit of research about Lake Hamilton, I'm I'm really excited about going down there and checking it out. Yeah, for sure. Because that one, I mean, you fished the cup on uh, on Murray, uh, the one Atkins won. Right. And yep. then missed last year's. And to me, like, I would think that Hamilton could be right up your alley. Because... I gotta imagine there's some summertime similarities to how you'd fish, like Lake of the Ozarks and that sort of thing. I know they don't look exactly the same, but it's sort of the same region of the country. And at the same time, it's not a, it's not like a, a huge lake to, you know, where I feel like a local advantage. First of all, I don't know that there's anyone in the field who really has a local advantage, and it might be the kind of place where, even if there is a local advantage that can get wiped out pretty quick by a few days of practice. So, like, what's what's your vibe going into that one? How are you going to prepare? Are you going to go down and pre-practice, or are you just going to take the regular uh, set of practice days? You know, um, and like you said, it's a small lake, so I've, I've kind of uh, debated that. But, you know, last year, or the first year I made the Cup in South Carolina, I elected not to go down and pre-practice. And, you know, looking back on it now i wish i had so i'm gonna go down there i'm at least gonna ride around for a couple days but you know from what i know about the lake right now um and from what i've looked at you know as far as on the map and google earth i mean it it looks like it should be uh really fun not that big you know but but big enough for all of us to kind of spread out uh it's got all the cover i like to fish and it's got a lot of boat docks a lot of brush piles looks like a lot of points so, um, you know, a little bit of, little bit of grass in it. So it's going to be fun. You know, there's going to be guys fishing shallow. There's going to be guys fishing deep. Um, probably not going to take huge weights to win. So like you said, the local advantage kind of gets taken out the window and, you know, it's, it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun tournament for the guys fishing for sure. Yeah. I, I, I definitely, I'm with you on that. Like I, in my, my dream cup is like on Champlain, but it's going to be the way this is like a big bite is going to go a long way. There's definitely a few 
uh, from what I understand, there's definitely some big ones in the lake where somebody sure. every day is going to probably catch a real big one that'll shake things up. And yep, that's a that's a cool factor to have. And then you know, it's gonna it's gonna be fun. It's the cup. It's the best anglers in the world. Like it's a championship. Doesn't no matter what happens, it's gonna be fun. Um, I'm definitely glad Absolutely. to see glad to see you fishing it. Um, I guess uh, the last thing is that this week is iCast. Uh, we're talking Tuesday morning. You're gonna hop on a plane this afternoon uh, and go to Orlando. Uh, so, who are you working for down there? And like, what's the uh, what's the lowdown? Can I can I get any sneak peeks? Any previews? <laughs> I I wish I had some uh, sneak peeks of what's going on. You know, in the fishing world, I need some I need some hot tackle for uh, down at at the Forestwood Cup. So. Uh, but uh, I'm working for the women. Uh, you know, they've always got some new cutting edge technology out. So excited to see what what they have down there. And uh, I believe Nitro Boats is going to be down there. So uh, Gator Guard is going to be working a little bit for them, as well as TH Marine. So uh, we're going to be kind of promoting the, a lot of the TH Marine products and uh, the uh, Yolo Tech camera mount. It's a camera mount I helped design, and we've seen a lot of guys running them on FLW tour this year. Uh, out of the back of their boat, it just kind of plugs into your navigation port. So, um, yeah, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be making the rounds at ICAST and just kind of saying hi to everybody and stopping by the FLW booth and uh, seeing uh, seeing what we got for next year. All right. Do you have any trolling motors you're set to release? I know a lot of every, uh, everybody else is. Uh, is there going to be a Casey Scanlon edition trolling motor? Uh, not that I know of. Okay, uh, I was just know, checking. Things might have changed after <laughs> the Champlain event. They were, they were going to have a Scott Martin edition, but they're thinking about changing it. So. All right, cool. Well, I'm I'm here for you know I'm here for whatever <laughs> trolling motors you want to you want to produce. I'm just saying it seems right. like now's well, the I'll, time I'll, for I'll trolling motors. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got one. I see that there's some uh, something new released today, some ghost one. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of trolling motors out there. Everything's getting bigger and better. And, and I'm excited to see what, what everybody's got. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Next year uh, will probably be the first year in, I mean, honestly, like years. Because for a while, Motor Guide kind of fell out of favor even before uh, the Ultrax took over. I mean, there's going to be actual different trolling motors on pros' boats, which is wild. And that's kind of cool to see. Uh, and we'll have to, we'll see how that all shakes out and stacks up. And that's going to be fun. But, uh, oh, absolutely. You know, it's all the new, uh, you know, live view and everything that, uh, that, uh, you know, Garmin's using and some of these other companies are trying to incorporate, you know, uh, it's all going to be linked to the trolling motors and, and, uh, to, you know, to your dash. So, yeah, this, the technology is amazing and, you know, all that stuff is, is just going to make fishing better for us. That's for sure. Well, Casey, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really appreciate it. And before I let you go, where can folks find more Casey Scanlon? I know you've got a guide business, um, but you've also got social media and all that jazz that I'm sure we can plug and point people to. Yeah, um, you know, on Facebook, it's Casey Scanlon Fishing. Uh, you can find me on there. It's a, a Casey Scanlon Professional Angler, I believe. And then uh, Instagram is Casey Scanlon 10. We're always posting on Facebook and Instagram, so check me out on there uh my youtube channel is casey scanlon fishing 
we're putting videos up there every week. You can see some of uh, the videos we did at, at Champlain. <laughs> and uh, um, you can always find uh, more information about my guide service at CaseyScanlinFishing.com. So we guide here at Lake of the Ozarks and a couple of the uh, area lakes. So uh, if you're here in Missouri and at Lake of the Ozarks, give me a call CaseyScanlinFishing.com. All righty. Last question. Where does the uh, Casey Scanlon 10 come from? Are you the 10th Casey Scanlon? Do you really like the number? What's up I there? Must, I must have not. Uh, well, that was my that was my baseball or basketball number in high school. But okay. they must have not had whatever uh, I was available, <laughs> wanting available at the time. And I just went with 10. All so. right. Cool. I like it. I, <laughs> I, I always like to ask because usually it's like that's a sports number from – when you were young and athletic, and maybe now not so athletic, although um, I wouldn't put <laughs> it past memory. you. <laughs> um, uh, I know Bill Taylor says he can still dunk. I don't think he can do that, but you know, never. I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna say probably not, but I'd love <laughs> to see it. Um, but uh, Todd Castledine almost certainly can still dunk. I don't know if he. I, I don't know if there's been a moment gonna, in his life I'm where he could. I'm gonna say Todd. Uh, <laughs> Todd's athletic enough, tall enough, and I'm I'm pretty sure he could probably put one down. Yeah, but uh, anyhow, that's usually the answer. But every once in a while, it's like, well, no, there's there's something there's something else that floats up. But uh, anyway, man, thanks. I I attempted to touch the rim the other day. It wasn't very pretty. All right. Well, Uh, I uh, I have faith. If you want to do it, you can. But I would say focus on just fishing and Lake Hamilton (laughs) and that sort of thing. All right, man. I, I think you're on the right track there. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, safe travels to Orlando, and uh, we'll see you in Arkansas in not too long. Awesome. I appreciate it, Jody. Thanks for having me. All righty. So, Kyle, uh, first on the list is Lake Champlain. Now, I put Ty as our first uh, rundown point, but I don't know that we should actually necessarily <laughs> start there, but maybe just Champlain in general. Um, mm-hmm. This was the first time you've got to cover a tournament at Champlain and go to Ty, which is big it was. for you. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Tell me about Champlain or start wherever you want to start because we got a lot to talk about here. Well, Ty is super cool. Uh, I feel like I would thoroughly enjoy fishing down there. It's such a stark contrast. And, and like, I knew, you know, like, the stuff you hear about Ty, I think, paints a good picture of it. Right. Yeah. Like it is. It's substantially different than the north end of the lake. It's not hard to understand in the abstract. Yeah. But when you but get it's there, it's until you're down there. Yeah. Then you kind of, because it's like dirty water. It's really narrow. There's just bassy looking cover everywhere. Laydowns and there's riprap and rocks and milfoil that looks gorgeous, and it's starting to look even more gorgeous. And then, but you still have like the mountains and stuff in the background. So it's just, uh, I don't know, man. It was a gorgeous, peaceful place to be in the morning, too. That is for sure. Um, and you didn't have to make the run, you got to drive down. No. Yeah, I got to do it the kind of easy way. Yeah. It's not really actually a very beautiful, I mean, it's a very beautiful drive, but it's not a very like logical, easy drive. <laughs> right. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, from Plattsburgh. Uh, but definitely the drive is preferable to running it, uh, especially if you mix in, like, two-footers. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. 
But yeah, man, I'm glad you got to go down there uh, for sure because it's a cherished part of the lake for me. Although, the more I fish Champlain and the more I fish the North End, I am really in love with that North End. Because um, there's so much variety up there, uh, especially like in July and August and later on in the year. Like when the mm -hmm. smallmouth are off the beds and it's really kicking into summertime gear, that that northern part of the lake, it's so electric when you consider just the combinations of smallmouth and largemouth you have and the different ways you can catch them. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm sure that we might see some of that uh, this week in or next week in the Coast FLW Series event on Lake Champlain. Um, but Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, on the uh, tour side of things, basically, I don't want to say you and I predicted it exactly correctly, but we were definitely correct about the spawning smallmouth not having the juice they had in years past. Um, mm -hmm. I think that I kind of was leaning like, oh, northern largemouth are a thing to watch with like, yeah, we got to look at Ty because, you know, we received some information, uh, but turned out Ty was like basically the story of that derby yeah yeah that actually was um well I, I could say surprising uh which sounds kind of weird because you know there were those string of years where ty was like the place to the be deal yeah yeah um but yeah definitely like come the final day what was seven out of ten seven out of the top ten were down there yeah i think so because dudley was mid lake and yep. then Thrift and Slagona were up north, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was um, kind of like a whole oh, dang like <laughs> we got to send more photographers down that way, which I think definitely uh, had you and I kind of like, whoa, man, this is we're about to throw a lot of people in a smaller space of the lake. Yeah, and it turned out to be the right call. It's just unfortunate that Champlain is so big that one person can't really effectively cover three people uh especially yeah. when it gets rough which i tried to yes. pull that off on the north end and then i was sitting there and i'd gone and and i'd seen slagona and i'd seen thrift and i was like do i really want to drive like 40 minutes through two footers to get to <laughs> david dudley and then come back and i was like no i don't want to do that i love david yeah. dudley. Uh, he won aoy that's great but i don't want that um, yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a smart choice. So yeah, it was really, it was cool. Honestly, my favorite part of the tournament was just watching Brian Thrift on day four because I got to watch him on his topwater spot. Yeah. And let me tell you, man, I know. So days one and two, he was catching smallmouth there with like little largemouth, and then he caught a six pound largemouth there on day three. Then day four, he caught like a four pound largemouth and like a three pound largemouth there and a bunch of others, dude. Watching Brian Thrift catch him every cast is not uncommon, right? Like, you and I have seen that a bunch of times. Yeah, yep. Watching him catch him every cast on top water, pretty sweet. That would be epic. It was It was. Yeah, epic. I was pretty jealous. <laughs> I was like, and he said, after, like, after this, everything died down, because he'd caught, like, I don't know, like, seven or eight fish in a row, or, you know, seven or eight fish within 15 casts or whatever, and he was calling, he was like, you think I'm in the lead? <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, for now. Because <laughs> he knew it, too. Like, that was what it, that was the situation. The guys weren't done running. Um, 
and he'd already, you know, caught 14 pounds or whatever. Uh, maybe 12 pounds or 13 pounds, but either way, uh, that was... Yeah, he was definitely getting after it. Yeah, it was an epic thing to watch. Um, and it was just a really good tournament overall. Like, Eric Jackson uh, being in contention for the win was, like, legitimately amazing. Um, and <laughs> yeah. maybe something we won't ever see again, but maybe something we will see again because the guy has no give up in him. And he really doesn't. He's like, I don't know. You know, Chris Jones will tell you momentum's a thing in the sport. Uh, so he's got some. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was like wild. Uh, seeing Ty kick out so many big fish was great. Uh, watching Scanlon win was pretty cool. Day five was really good because you lit him on fire. Um, yeah, they were chewing. Yeah, dude, I caught him really good on day five too. Yeah, you did. Um, big ones, too. I was crushing day five. <laughs> um, uh, we should have put the camera in your boat. I, there were a couple times where I was like, man, I kind of wish I had the GoPro going for this. <laughs> um, that was It was a fun day five. Um, and that'll be up probably soon after folks are listening to this. Uh, Hopefully. But anyhow, it was all in all, I would say, a success. Um I guess on the year-end stuff, because we pretty much, we talked to Scanlon earlier, and that's pretty well set. Um, David Dudley won AOI. Uh, John Cox, really, definitely, he uh, he gave it a really good go. Um, yep. But yep. at the same time, to see David Dudley win another AOI on Lake Champlain was not a shocker. Um, because one point is not a lot when David Dudley and Lake Champlain is in consideration um yeah so how did you what are your feelings on the race as a whole or just dudley or whatever you want you know i think we really got uh kind of what we expected it wasn't as close you know on the final day but like john barely making the cut to keep the uh the fight alive and it seemed like john was you know coming into the event he thought he had something figured out pretty well and day one of the tournament definitely not the case whereas Dudley his game plan was solid like he knew what he was doing and he pretty much lived up to that every day John just did John Cox stuff like he adapted and overcame and kind of like I think you and I especially after day two were thinking like dude like he made the cut he found that like rock with all those you know the he caught one and there was like 50 with it yeah thousands of largemouth yeah, I think we were thinking, dude, this is about to get really interesting on Saturday. Uh, you know, ultimately it didn't, but I it was a it was a really fun thing because like you could tell uh these guys even when you're watching them on the water like they're both pretty relaxed, you know. You can't really tell the pressure of an angler of the year is on their shoulders, but you could definitely see the focus and like how methodical they were and what they were doing to try to get every ounce they could uh, because they both knew it was going to be the difference. Yeah, and they both, like, I mean, obviously you want to win Angler of the Year. These guys both really wanted to win Angler of the Year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, between Dudley going for number four and Cox trying to win number one, which it's I don't ever want to say somebody should have won an AOI by now, but he's had his chances. You know what I mean? Yep. And he's going to get more chances. And one of these years, he's going to close Oh, yeah, it. without a doubt. Um, but it was it was cool. It was really cool to watch him go at it. 
and uh, I'm I'm like kind of flabbergasted about Dudley because like dude four in a row or not four in a row but four total is huge. Four total, yeah. Um, the that in itself is incredible. The span of time he's done them over is really pretty amazing because a lot of the guys they bunch up two really great years. Yep, and and, and he. He did, that. and he did. Oh, he, he he went he went back yep. to back, but to just the let's see, it's two thousand eight to uh, two thousand nineteen. So like right? that's a an eleven year span in which four times he's been the best. Well, <laughs> the funny thing too is um, you know talking with him when he when we finally crowned him Angler of the Year, and he's like. You know, I kind of started doubting myself. Like, can I, can I still compete? Can I still? It's like, my dude, like you've made the cup. You know, you're. St- <laughs> it wasn't like you were having terrible years <laughs> on tour. You just, you know, hadn't really been competing for an angler of the year. But that's the caliber of guy he is. You know that, like, if you finish below fifth in the points, you're kind of like, eh, it's an all right year, I guess. Um. So that was kind of funny for me to, because you're right, like the span of time he did it is extremely impressive. But then after uh, 2012 when he won his third one to now, like he considers that basically a slump. Yeah. Which is like, well, well, but you still, you made the cup every year. Like, you know, it was still on paper, very solid career. Uh, and he and he does acknowledge that, but it was just kind of funny hearing him beat himself up for not having won one sooner. You know, 20... 20- uh, so like it's it's true it's it's weird to say because what he's done in that time frame would be considered like a great career by a lot of other standards, but yeah, uh, yeah. 2013 through now he's never fished the final day of the cup, you know, which yeah. is wild to think about. Even though of course he's like basically always made it, and then mm-hmm. if you look at uh, like he finished fifth in AOI in 2017 and he really never sniffed an AOI race other than that you know 2013 he was 16th that was his other best one so like it's it's amazing to think about I I I still I mean one of the guys who I always go back to as being the best is Brian Thrift um just because I don't know he's Brian Thrift uh and he's got you know it's it's interesting like he's got two AOIs uh but he's got like he's got them spread out now and also he's got Mm -hmm. a lot of time left in his career like it's almost like if he if thrift can like rip off two here real quick or something like that then all of a sudden you're like he could be the super David Dudley but for now David Dudley's the super David Dudley yeah yeah absolutely um and it's cool that we've got that and I'm I just like I, I like I spent more time watching him fish this year than I had really in quite a while, and like it's fun to watch him fish because especially with the YouTube stuff, he's making all kinds of noise and like doing all this extra stuff and still yeah. managing to really smash him, um, which is fun. Yeah, you you definitely get to see like you can tell he's having fun when he fishes you know there's some guys you watch fish and it's like yeah the guys at work you know there's not a lot of interaction with them on the water but like dudley you know day two 
I was following him around and, you know, we're just talking about stuff. He's talking to me about the fish. He's talking to me about, uh, like Champlain in general. You know, it was just like, you know, it would have seemed like a practice day, but here the guy is, you know, peak form about to win an angler of the year, just carrying on a conversation. Yeah, for sure. Um, Anything else on that, or should we talk uh, ROI a little bit? Oh yeah, we should we should give some love to to Mister Nelson. Yeah, so our boy Ron Nelson uh, won Rookie of the Year. Um, in uh, I guess two years in a row now, the presumptive leader has really coughed it away. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Sheldon Collings and uh, Miles Burgoff, sorry about that. Um, two years <laughs> in a row, actually. A northern angler has won angler the, or has won rookie of the year. So uh yeah. Matt Becker, Ron Nelson, you're our boys. Mm-hmm. Um But I don't think it was exactly a surprise to see Nelson do really well at Champlain and uh no. you know, kind of put the heat on the guys who were around him. And uh he did. And he won rookie of the year and I mean I don't know, Kyle, if if we were picking at the beginning of the year we probably were picking nelson right or oh yeah i mean at least like top two choices i would say for sure yeah i know a few years ago we were like oh yeah it's castle nine for sure um and i guess last year it, it would have been like nelson or lebrun this year probably yeah 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 um, yeah and lebrun had a really good year and made the cup uh mm-hmm. he did ron nelson boy he went out and did ron nelson things yeah it was kind of like um uh, it just with Ron overall, like I think he was one of those guys through Costas, you just knew like this guy can hang on tour. Yeah, and uh, it's anywhere. like a Johnston thing. Yeah, yeah. Like it, watching the Johnston exactly. fish, Costas. I think we knew before a lot of people did. Like these guys are going to crush it whenever they decide to step up, and Ron decided to fish the tour this year, and he definitely lived up to the hype. Yeah, like. The Johnstons and Nelson, they've crushed it at a variety of different locations yeah. throughout their Costa careers and or throughout their AAA careers. And they've stayed in their AAA careers longer than, than they needed to. You know, mm-hmm. yep. uh, Castledine and Lebrun, um, both of them have really had phenomenal lower-level careers, but a lot of that's been concentrated in and around Texas, Right. Yes, very, um, very regionally oriented. Whereas you look at Nelson, you look at the Johnstons, those are guys who have had a lot of success in Florida and also on Smith Mountain Lake and also up north. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, the fact that they had that sort of southeastern success coupled with the northern success, boy, is that a combo for coming out firing in your first year. Oh, without a doubt. it's That's such a good... Um, like way to dip your toes in too, because you, that southeastern division, like you're basically fishing against. You're essentially fishing on guys. Tour. Like it's yeah. really close. For sure, whether it's elite series guys, whether it's, um, oh, I guess some uh, Bass Pro Tour guys now or FLW Tour pros, like you're hanging with the dudes. Plus, like some of the best locals in the country on a given lake fish that division. Yeah. So. When you can come out there and, you know, get like a top 20 or a top 10 and then do it like year in and year out and then roll up north where you're comfortable and keep crushing it, like not only does that 
for sure probably help your confidence, but that just gives you such a good foundation of like, okay, I kind of get how things work down south. Now I can come back into my comfort zone, keep establishing that I know how to catch them up north. And uh, gosh, it's just good groundwork for, for fishing the tour. Like 2014, uh, this is a southeastern division because Ron Nelson finished in the top 10 in the northern division every single year he fished it. Right. Which is crazy. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> 35th uh, in 2014, southeastern. 13th in 2015 and 16, 10th in 2017, so that'd be a year he qualified for the tour, 15th in 2018. Like, that's amazing. And the dude's from Michigan. Yeah, yeah. And I think there there are a lot of people when he'd uh, fish down south and and do well, people would be like, wait, Michigan? Yeah. That's kind of weird. You see a random northern guy do well on Okeechobee from time to time, but that's because they, like, you know, snowbird down there and they've been living there for a while. Yeah, but they don't do it two years in a row. You know what I mean? No. They, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. every once in a while. But usually it's like, oh, man, they really caught him. And then it's like, I wonder where this guy went. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, are they still alive? <laughs> uh, but, no, it's not the that's not the case for Ron Nelson. Um, no, not at all. And, uh, I don't know, it's... We had a really exciting crop of rookies this year, I think, because when you look, when you sort of run through it and you look at the guys who, I mean, even if you just look at the cup roster, right, there's a bunch of rookies mm-hmm. on it. And I think they're all really good. You know, I don't think that there's a lot of, or any rookies this year that really caught them that I would say are flashing the pans. Now, they might have, uh, you know, some. Some West Logan-esque sophomore slumps. Sorry, Wes, love you. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, still a lot of love. But, you know, by and large, uh, it was, I think, a really good year to be a rookie. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm just kind of scrolling through the uh, cup list here and seeing where everyone kind of settled in. And, I mean, yeah. Beavers, 12th. Uh, Joel Willard, 23rd. Joel Willard, uh, well, who won Berghoff, back-to-back obviously. FLW Tour events as a co-angler last year. Dude, he really... Uh, I mean, I'm a big Joel Willard fan to begin with, but like that dude definitely came out and impressed for sure. Yeah, he kind of uh, snuck under the radar, I would say. Because uh, he, he never really had a great tournament if I in my head um and I'm gonna go look at his stand, stats now but like I feel like he didn't make a whole lot of cuts this year not that he had a bad year but yeah so he made the cut at Grand and other than that I made the cut at Champlain but he just did like really solid in all the other tournaments yeah very consistent um and that's a pretty key thing like to make to make the cup is not easy Right, like there's a mm-hmm. lot of people who go years without making the cup. Um, yeah, but there were a lot of rookies this year that made the cup. Um, I'm still super interested in Wade Strelick. Like, mm-hmm. just the fact that he came from California to here and did so well. I don't know. Yeah, finished 29th. Yeah, in the points. Like, I don't know that he's gonna keep it up or not. Um, but like, I think he certainly could. Um. He's a guy who had a lot of good derbies and did some interesting things. 
Uh, and then like, uh, I don't know, LeBrun. I think that if LeBrun like contends for an AOI in the next two years, it wouldn't shock me. Right. Oh yeah. He's, definitely not. We think based on his history, he's that kind of angler. And this year making the cup was like really good. It was, you know, it was a rookie season on tour and he hit some bumps in the road big time and also caught him pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all in on the cropper rookies this year, I would say. Especially now that we've seen them at it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see. Any other stuff from Champlain we need to talk about? Whether it's, uh, you know, a season finale kind of stuff or anything anything like that that's, uh, that's up there, it's on the table. What are your, what are your thoughts? Um... Man, I don't think so. All right. One thing I will note, uh, the FLW Cup roster is up. Um, so, obviously, it includes folks who qualify from various championships, the tour standings. Um, you can look at that at FLWFishing.com if you want to. Um, it's going to be a fun derby. And uh, now we've finally got the field all set and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Ready to get this party rocking in like a month, basically. Yeah. I mean, we definitely need to get the party rocking. I definitely have a lot more dumb northern fish to catch in between. Um, <laughs> for but sure, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that is a thing that we're going to have to deal with. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, I'm praying for cool weather. If anybody wants to pray with me, feel free. I don't pray <laughs> for a lot of things, but that's one of the things I'm going to leave lean hard on um so that i don't die in the transition <laughs> oh yeah man that's it's it's a harsh one to make for sure uh, beautiful northern summers to arkansas in august yeah hey i heard it might be on the mobile delta next year whoa redfish side pot but it's probably going to be hotter than arkansas lebrun <laughs> cup champ next year uh Here's the thing. It might be back-to-back because he did pretty good in Arkansas last year. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so let's not, we won't, let's not get ahead of ourselves too much. Yeah, yep, sorry, um, sorry. Also, I feel like Bradley Dorch might have something to say about that. I just, Ooh, I get this. Good point. He's from down around there, isn't he? Yeah. Um, but who knows? That might not even be where the cup is next year. I legitimately have one text of information on that and... You know, most of the time when I get information about where a tournament is, it's wrong. So, don't listen well, to I'll me. I'll tell you what. I also heard that uh, today, actually. Well, it could be true then, but it might not be. Well, I heard it today before you and I spoke. I'll put it that way. All right. Well, I mean, I heard it before you and I spoke, too. And I expect that our sources were similar and or the same. Uh, <laughs> Probably. So, I all I'm saying is tournament locations not necessarily set in stone <laughs> yes um but yeah if you guys want to go uh start booking places uh feel free and remember oh kyle remember that takeoff location that i sent you a while ago uh from that like mississippi or delta oh, division yeah. of what was it called we used to have uh... bfls there it was like 
something something seafood house or whatever. It was like Bayou Seafood was the actual takeoff location or something. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep scrolling through a bunch of text messages and like see if I can find it. I kind of think that I might be out of luck. But yeah, I I uh I've got a new phone since that and I don't think oh, I have all I don't think I have all my old texts. All right. Well, I'm looking. But anyway, Kyle, what do you want to talk about now? Uh, BFL derbies or iCast or something else? You know, we could maybe, since we're talking about past stuff, maybe we do some, we get some BFLs out of the way because there were, there was a lot of them. I think that's a great Um, idea. And then we can move on to iCast and just random stuff. All right. Hit me with some BFLs, Kyle. Because I'm ready for them. Well, so these were... Uh, these took place uh, the week of the Champlain Tour event. So a couple weeks ago, I guess. Two weeks ago. week ago. Whatever. Slightly in the past, but there was a lot of them. Um, we had a... I think we had two Hoosier Division events. We definitely did. They were both on the same lake. Uh, one was rescheduled. One was not. So... I can't remember what order these are, but Brody Campbell uh, won one of the Rough River Lake uh, BFLs, uh, which was presented by Navionics, uh, 7 pounds, 13 ounces. Uh, This would have been the Sunday, so this would have been uh, later than, this would have been the second of the Hoosier Division events. 713 uh, is what he had. He had four bass. Uh, he actually he says he should have won the BFL on Saturday, which was on the same lake, uh, but he had some dead fish penalties. It was super hot, uh, and that cost him. But uh, he started on some schooling fish, uh, threw a Zara Spook, and then he flipped a Strike King rodent and a jig with a Rage Craw uh, into willow bushes, and that's how he caught his fish. Uh, presumably that's how he caught his fish the day before. Uh, we'll get to that uh Next, but uh, this was uh, Brody's uh, third BFL victory this season, and he almost made it four the day before. So, Brody Campbell, you're crushing it. Uh, keep doing you, man. I like it. Uh, also, 4 2 was Big Bass, if you were curious. This is Rough River, correct? Rough River. Okay. Yep. Remember. I mean, we've, we used to be really interested in Rough River Lake. Are we still, or no. not anymore, really? Not not really. Okay. Uh, now, this Hoosier Division event, I should have read this one first, but whatever. That's just the way they popped up. Uh, the Hoosier Division event that took place on Saturday was also on Rough River. So this was the day before. John Melton won it. He had 13 pounds, 12 ounces. Uh, basically, same thing that Brody did the, d- the day next the day after however however you heard that he was throwing a top water and pitching plastics brody campbell got second in that one so dude brody campbell had 13 9 for five fish and had some dead fish penalties so dang dude that's pretty strong stuff yeah um moving on from there Derek jenkel won the illini division on rend lake Duke. uh yeah with 15 pounds, 8 ounces. Uh, side note, Rend Lake is one of those lakes that when you drive by, you're like, there's got to be just bass everywhere. Oh, I know. It looks good. Not, it's not good. Not necessarily the case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, Jenko was flipping bushes. He was using a uh, brush hog and a striking rage mug were pretty much the uh, the go to. Uh, he said he had to figure out the depth that the fish were in, but it was pretty much like three feet of water in the bushes. So, bango, bango. Random pattern. Uh, didn't, uh, hold on, hold on. I, I misclicked. Uh, our All-American champ, Brennan McCord, finished 10th. Yeah, he had a good 9th. derby in that one. Yeah, and uh, he usually did. He, when, if you recall, when we had him on the podcast, uh... He talked about he wasn't going to be able to fish all of the Illini events this year, but he made it in that one, made some more money, continue crushing life. Uh, let's see. We also had a, uh, what was this, Bama Division event on uh, Neely Henry. Uh, Andy Kilgore won it with 19 pounds, 7 ounces. Uh, he pretty much just flipped uh all day flipped a beaver um he said if i want to sum it up he just basically says he got lucky <laughs> that he got some better bites love that uh, love that but he he won by like almost four pounds so uh kind of dialed i would say or got lucky on some some good bites uh but yeah that's about it for that one I'm just kind of motoring through here. Uh, Dennis Siggers won the Shenandoah Division event on Smith Mountain with 19 pounds in an ounce. That's pretty good. Uh, he caught him on a pop bar and then also caught him on a trick worm. Uh, his big one came on a pop bar. Pretty much the rest of them came on a trick worm. Uh, he just chalks his victory up to his years of experience on the lake. Uh, he said they filled the lake up. And he saw the fish uh, swimming down the, quote, bank lines. Uh, so he just started working down the bank lines and threw a popper around. Didn't know he was going to catch 19 pounds, but he did. And again, won it by, like, three pounds, a little over three pounds. Sweet. A little under three pounds, so. That's a big hey, man, bag. Sometimes you just get lucky. Especially this it time is. of year, I think. Yeah, I think it's justifiable that he's, like, didn't know I was going to catch that, but here we go. Um, okay. Last but not least, Ozark Division event on Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, Michael Harlan won it with 24 pounds, 9 ounces. Scanlon, when we were filming day 5, was talking about how they're chewing on Lake of the Ozarks, and this definitely backs it up. Uh, yeah, he wrecked them. He caught, like, uh, I don't know couple dozen fish and said he was throwing back three pounders like they were nothing he basically uh cranked a 6xd uh and he was trying to like graph around and find schools that were off the beaten path uh make an exact cast to certain schools uh was kind of his deal he didn't really elaborate like was it brush is it like channel swing stuff he was in the... It wouldn't shock uh, me if they were suspended. From what I understand, they've been moving a lot of water out there. Yeah, and Scanlon was kind of talking about that. Um, yeah. Man, they smashed them in that derby. Dude, right? Like, uh, I tell you what, so I've fifth been... fifth place was 20 pounds, 4 ounces. 
uh, we had a bunch of ties. Tenth was tied with eighteen ten. Like, yeah, they were they were chewing. I've been on a bring a spring derby to Lake of the Ozarks kick for like I don't know what three years now. I feel like at least. <laughs> yeah. And every year that we don't go there, I am gonna get more and more mad because man, I want a tour event at Lake of the Ozarks in the spring. I want it to be cold dude. enough so there's not big boats out because they're annoying. But like, yeah, dude. The, the place has got them. It would be, they would light them on fire. And Dude, we, Big Bass we make, was six ten. We could make like. a special allowance and have umbrella rigs be legal for it. <laughs> Brian Thrift would just like fall out of his boat with excitement. He'd be like, "Oh yeah, here we go." <laughs> yeah, definitely. Casey Scanlon would love it. Let's do this thing. Come on, Bill. Let's go, me, man. Let's sign a petition. Give me a tour event on Lake of the Ozarks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a solid way to wrap the BFL weekend. Look at all the ties. Three guys tied right? for 10th with 18 pounds. 18-10. That was wild. That's wild. Yeah. All right. I love it. Great, great finish. By the way, while we're talking about BFLs, so... The Gulf Coast Division uh, is a now-defunct BFL division. Not as great as the Empire Division. R.I.P. <laughs> the Empire Division. Uh, but Rigolais Bait and Seafood was one of the premier takeoff locations for that one. So maybe ah. we'll have a cup takeoff at Rigolais Bait and Seafood. Um that would probably be excellent for Kurt's bowels. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, but anyhow, that's uh, I found it. I'm glad that we did because people need to know that. I hope I pronounced good it research. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, shall we talk about iCast? <coughs> yeah. <coughs> if I don't die, <coughs> Kyle, please live. <coughs> oh, okay. Uh, yes, we should talk about iCast. All right, Kyle, tell me everything you know about trolling motors, because that's all I care about. Hey, there, it, it's, uh, I was asking Kurt this a little bit ago. So, normally, I feel like iCast, you're just like, okay, cool, new line of rods, new reel with some more ball bearings, um, you know, whatever. A new lure that looks like some weird insect that bass probably eat, but... Maybe don't encounter all that often. And also, why do you need it? Because they'll just eat a frog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you this year's like so many, so many trolling motors, man. Uh, Garmin, Lawrence, Motor Guide. And that's probably it. That's probably it. Because here's the thing. I think if PowerPole was going to have a trolling motor, we'd know about it by now. It wouldn't just be like, oh, yeah. PowerPole's got a trolling motor in the works. I think it'd be like, yeah, yeah. okay, here it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think today would have been the day, right? <laughs> I, I think so. Uh, so, yeah. A bunch of new trolling motors. The Garmin one, uh, the MSRP on that one, for the cheapest one, is $3,099. Uh, the Ultrix that most folks are buying is either... Probably twenty four hundred or twenty five hundred bucks. Uh, so it's uh, more expensive. So get ready for that. Um, 
also might be more betterer. We don't know that for sure yet. We need to <laughs> we need to see it, you know, work for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. But definitely interesting. Um, the Lawrence one I've been told goes 0.1 miles an hour faster than the Garmin one. Uh, that's actually not a fact. Uh, it, it could be. <laughs> um, but anyhow. So, Again, just speculation at this point. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's not speculation, they're all pretty ugly. Oh, they are, man. Like, I feel like the Ultrax looks pretty good, right? Like, it's a little different, but it looks better than a Fortrex, I would think. Because now I'm kind of to the point where seeing a cable steer come out of the head, I'm like, oh, that looks dumb. But these guys are just like, oh, man, I don't know. It's it's questionable design choice in my mind. Mm-hmm. And they all seem kind of the same, like really angular. And it's weird because like bass boats themselves aren't angular, right? Like they have a lot of smooth lines and like swooping details and things like that. And then you look at the newest motors and they're like real full of angles and the new uh, Ranger consoles are, like, real full of angles. And so all of a sudden, like, we're just smashing all these sharp angles onto bass boats that sit on water that are kind of, and they're kind of flowy in, in mm-hmm. appearance anyhow. Like, you know, Phoenix has, like, little flames, and, uh, you know, all these other, a lot of other ones have, like, stripes and things, but they kind of run down the side and then tail off. They don't, like run down the side and then explode into pixels and like drop off at <laughs> right. right angles and things like that. Like, ah, man, I, maybe I'm out on this. I could be wrong. And I know you and I don't always agree on what looks good, but like, gosh. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, so the G2, right? When Evernude came out with the G2, that was like the first, whoa, man, what's going on here kind of yeah. thing. And I definitely didn't think it looked that, that cool. Now I'm just used to it. I think some people felt that way about the new Merc, but I'm already kind of like, I get it. People are doing weird stuff without boards. But yeah, on the trolling motor front, part of it's just like, yeah, it seems like a stark, uh, you know, or like a hard left from where trolling motors are. But then again, pretty much everyone just has them in Coda, and we know what they look like, so anything that doesn't look like that uh, definitely would be weird. But the Garmin and the Lowrance one are ugly. I'm just, I'm just saying it. I'm not sugarcoating it. That, uh, it, here's my other thing, just with trolling motors, and not to like rant or anything. Oh no, please get, do hit me. I get that uh, Minkota pretty much dominates the market, so you're probably looking at it like, well, I don't know. We make electronics, you know, like Minkota and Humminbirds. They like their units can talk to the trolling motor. Uh, that's all kind of cool. We're going to make a trolling motor so our trolling motors can talk to our units. Um, how much How much are people having their graph talk to the trolling motor? You know what I mean? Like, I know in the walleye world, it's kind of key because you want to run, like, specific waypoints or, like, specific contour lines. Um, and you're doing a lot more, like, trolling with the motor, if that makes sense. Or you're actually propelling your boat along at a constant speed and trying to maintain like a certain zone. I just like, I just don't get what the other than maybe being able to go faster or maybe they're a little quieter. I just, I don't get 
I don't get what they bring to the table. That's why I gotta go walk around and look at these things. Kick the tires on them, so to speak. Maybe actually kick one and just see how how durable. They also look really heavy, too, don't they? Uh, I've kind of gone back and forth on if they look heavy or not. I know one thing, the Ultrax is heavy. Um, yeah. If you... <laughs> Let's, let's put it this way. If you take an old motor guide tour edition trolling motor and you take it off your bass boat and you go and you put it on the, uh, you know, the, the bed of your truck and then you pick up the, the Ultrax to put on your bass boat, you're going to almost fall over because there is a huge difference in weight. Um, I definitely want to know the weights of all of these associated trolling motors. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good, good I think stat. that's a curious thing. If these new ones weigh less than an Ultrax, and if they all uh I'm going to leave the motor guide one out for a minute because motor guides really got a long way to go to convince me they can build a trolling motor that works um which is a ridiculous thing to say but like come on guys um and then the other ones I still need to be convinced on if they'll run right like they could have all the stats yeah. in the world, and I think that they do, but I want to see them for a year. Because, like, mm-hmm. for sure. to me, even... There were a lot of people, Brian Thrift included, who wanted to see the Ultrax at work for a year before they went out and bought one. And I think that was a smart thing, but also I think Minkota came into it with, like, much more experience and a longer reputation of success at building trolling motors because they'd already had a variety of, uh, you know, autopilot spot lock type things going on before the Ultrex. And Mm -hmm. they also made the best trolling motor, which was the Fortrex. So, like, it was kind of a thing where, okay, they should be good at this. Um, Garmin and Lowrance have no real prior... They don't have any history of building trolling motors. That's just a fact. And no. And I think, like, both companies, uh, technology-wise, like, especially Garmin, like, gosh, they, you know, there's, they do all kinds of crap uh, that are, you know, very tech-savvy. So I, you could kind of go into it being like, well, yeah, I mean, I assume these guys know what they're doing. But at the same time, like, a trolling motor uh, isn't a $5,000 depth finder or forward-facing sonar, or yeah. watch, or whatever they, whatever else Garmin makes. The, uh, a trolling motor is a much more active product than anything, you know, than any of the electronics we're used to putting on our boats from these companies. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. So that's, like, definitely a factor. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess we need to see it. We need to see exactly what they do. Uh, but I'm kind of with you that like the ability one thing I wanted you to check is find out if and this is another I basically Kyle I keep tasking you with things I'm like well Kyle find this out for me find this out for me uh, like right now if I want to take Garmin Panoptics uh, or Lawrence Live Sight and put it on any trolling motor I want I can do that mm-hmm. and it's not really that hard <laughs> um and if you wanted to do with, with Humminbird 360, would you be able to on these new trolling motors? Yeah, good point. Um, because, like, there's definitely... Obviously, both these companies have forward-looking sonar now. 
I don't think they come, I don't think that comes with the trolling motor for either of them. So like, what are we, you know, there's still a, there's still a decision there. And I think part of you were talking how, well, honestly, do graphs really need to talk to your trolling motors that much? Like, yeah, I, I mean, still don't think they do, at least for bass that's fishing. What I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, I just don't see a lot of instances where I'm like, thank goodness I have this Lorance trolling motor for this, for my Lorance graph up yeah. front. Or, uh, like, because guys got by with an Ultrix on there, and, like, I never really heard anyone complain about, like, oh, I wish my Garmin could talk to my trolling motor right now. Yeah. it. I mean, maybe in, like, a ledge tournament? I guess maybe, but like I said, there's like I know uh, Great Lakes like salmon guys or walleye anglers, musky guys even like I think that application and maybe that's the market they're trying to get into, right? Maybe it's not like they're coming out with a trolling motor just to help the fishing world in general. And yeah, bass guys are going to have it, but maybe it's these other species that they're really going for. Well, the Garmin one is only available in 50 and 57 inch shafts which definitely not 57 inches not long enough <laughs> for those boats no, <laughs> no so it like is not. right there is an issue <laughs> um so like i think they're looking at the bass market because i think these other species they're not even buying ultrexes though they're buying alteras you know that's true they're yeah. like that's just another market that mingotas got locked down yeah yeah um I'm like super, I'm super interested to see how it shakes out. I super wish all these new trolling motors were going to be priced less than an Ultrax. I super doubt that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, that would be the dream is to be like, all of a sudden I have all these options and it got cheaper. And probably what it's going to be is you got all these options and it got more expensive. Uh, yeah. Which is not great because, dude. Altrexes are already like twenty four hundred bucks, maybe twenty five hundred bucks if you want a longer shaft and you're gonna buy a thirty six volt trolling motor. That's exp- that's a lot of money to just stick on the front of your boat. That that is a chunk of coin. Oh, here's another thing. While we're talking about this, so an older boat, you might reasonably expect to go through a couple generations of electronics throughout the life of the boat, right? Mm-hmm. You don't For sure. think about changing the trolling motor every time you do that. Like no, gosh no. I had my boat had a motor guide for like let's see, like a ten years, and then it's got an Ultrax now, and I am not gonna change. I mean, I'm not gonna change that. <laughs> you know, that's what's there. Right. And yep. I've changed a number of times my electronics configuration around that, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. putting one. Whether it's moving a unit from place to place, or upgrading transducers, uh, or removing transducers that broke because I hit them on a rock when I came down from a wave, or uh, putting panoptics on it, or whatever. And, like, these are all things you can do without changing the trolling motor. All things that really don't require a lot of trolling motor to graph communication. So, anyway... It's back to your point where, like, it could be sweet, but also, like, four years from now, if you keep a boat for more than four years, which a lot of people do, Mm -hmm. maybe you want a new graph because you're like, hey, there's some new technology. This is pretty sweet. 
I want to do this. I'll move this around, right? Maybe you want a new graph, but you really don't want to buy a new trolling motor because at least prior to this, yeah. the only thing that made you want to buy a new trolling motor was if your old one broke or the Ultrex came out. Yeah, and pretty much. now, I mean, I don't know. It's There are a lot of questions to be answered on the trolling motor market. Um, and the thing, one thing we can agree is that the Ultrex was like an absolute changing point in fishing. It was a true game changer. Uh, yeah. I think that's fair. Um, and like what goes on ahead, maybe we'll get some clarity this week, but more likely we'll, we probably, we might not get any clarity for the next five years. We might get some clarity <laughs> a year and a half from now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely excited to go to these booths and, and kind of have someone like sell me on it. Right. Like why, why would I put one of these on? Like I say, I have a four treks now. Why would I put a Garmin one on versus a Ultrex or versus the Lowrance one? Yeah. And one thing that is, this is additionally interesting and might still come off as me being too negative, which I hope I'm not being too negative, but like, honestly, right now, if I was getting ready to buy a boat, I might think to myself, you know what? I'm going to wait a year and see what Minn Kota comes out with. Because if these motors are like faster and longer lasting than Minn Kota, why not give Minn Kota a chance to do the same thing? Yeah. Right? Like, that's a that's a possibility right there if you want to think about that. You know, if you really, if you really want to make sure you have 100% the best trolling motor, then maybe that's your, maybe that's your best option. Yeah, no, that's a very valid point. Uh, is say, well, let me wait till next year and see if the Ultrex 2.0 Mega has, because they just tack Mega on everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also goes 30% faster. <laughs> um, who even knows? Um, but anyhow, it's a, it's a cool time to really be a fishing electronics nerd and to like this stuff, because it's... Mm-hmm. extremely nerdy and like we're gonna get to become experts about brushless and non-brush and ones with brushes and we're gonna learn some stuff here and that's cool yeah yeah i think uh it's uh it, i maybe it's just actually also fun to have like you know some other options in a trolling motor uh instead of just a mincota or a mincota yeah that's definitely neat um Cause man, and again, not a, not a, not to disregard motor guide, but also like motor guides, trolling motor. Um, I just didn't really hear anything about it. Like, yeah, going, going along and not from like, you know, emails, like industry emails or whatever. It was just like people were talking about the Garmin one and the Lowrance one. I didn't really hear anyone be like, Hey, don't forget about the motor guide. Cause I would have been like, Oh yeah. It wasn't until I was looking through Instagram today at wired to fish's uh, story that I was like, Oh yeah, the motor guy trolling motor. They have one too. <laughs> yeah. Um right now I'm looking at uh their Instagram and uh it definitely appears to still have cables um and uh definitely has spot lock and uh it might just be the same as all these other ones, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I I will say one interesting thing is that if you look just visually, uh, if the Garmin and the Lowrance one 
don't really have a standard cable looking system, right? Yep. And the Ultrax still does. It's not in the same place, but there's still cables. Uh, I think the Lowrance one like has cables or something like cables, but it's like a much more guided system. Mm -hmm. uh, the Garmin has a real messy blob of wires around the head. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like it can spin forever and not like get worried about tangling up or something. Yeah, the that's what it looks like. Anyway, so the motor guide one, I think we need to. If here's a, if you liked, here's a quote. This is a direct quote. If you like the motor guide tour, you're going to love what's coming next. Mike McClelland. Now, I definitely had some good times with my motor guide tour. Um, I love my Ultrex. So I don't yeah. want to be negative about motor guide because, like, I literally don't know. Um, but I kind of feel like motor guide's setting himself up to be an also ran uh, in this one, which would be kind of a bummer because, like, it'd be really, like, man, for a while there, motor guides were great trolling motors. Mm -hmm. um, and man mine lasted a really long time and it was really easy to fix and that's a good thing for sure that's one thing I don't think you can fix any of these trolling motors anymore <laughs> I think that yeah. we just you're now taking them to the dealer to get them yeah I think <laughs> we looked at I think we've blown past the era of us being able to fix our trolling motors I think <laughs> probably that there's a pretty good chance that ended with the motor guide and it ended with the four treks and now we're like all right here well i got some little fuses and i got this and i got these cables and i don't know how they interconnect and it's probably we aren't doing self-repair on trolling motors anymore yeah um but you know fun times oh yeah all right well kyle i've kept you long enough uh it's five o'clock eastern time um which is like hey, four o'clock central uh, time we had uh an email or two we did? Oh, yeah. dude, we got a new bunny oh. email, didn't we? Uh, Maybe. Okay. We for sure had one from Lucas. Oh, yeah. Uh, we had with regard update. to our PB smallmouth uh, thing. Also, I found this email I sent to myself during Champlain. <laughs> it said, Marshall likes podcasts and was paired with Reddington? Question mark? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, shout out to that guy. Shout out to the Marshall <laughs> that told me he liked listening to the podcast uh i'm sorry i didn't get your name you were going somewhere i was going somewhere uh but much appreciated and then also we had um yeah lucas uh nikolasovic nikolasovic uh, i feel like i hit that one time and then i just uh, botch it lucas Kyle, we're going lucas. I call him lucas it works lucas with the bunnies bunny lucas uh, he says, hey guys, love the accent for the PB answers. Uh, 18 and three quarter inches and 3.51 uh, was, or. That was us. his new PB. He caught it in a kayak like last week or whatever. Yeah. He got uh, two fours last year, he said, but they were like 17 inches. So they were like short and fat. I like those fish. Uh, and he also caught a 4.09 largemouth last weekend. Or. Whatever that's this would have been like a week or so ago, uh, but then he says, "You guys see the email about the record smallmouth bag, uh, thirty-one point eight for five fish." Uh, you know, I think I did see that somewhere. 
which is just a stupid bag of smallmouths. I'm just going to search smallmouth uh, on Instagram and see if it comes up, but going off the top of my head, I did not see that. He also uh, brings up that uh, Tim from Tactical Bassin uses the S-Waver 168 for smallmouth. So just reinforcing the fact that you're going to have to start throwing some glide baits around uh, Well, for the brown ones. Kyle, I got an idea of a glide bait you might be able to throw. Uh-oh. It's from Storm, <laughs> and it comes out this week at iCast. Oh, yeah. I wonder if I could just steal one off the shelf or if I have to, like... I actually think you can only get them if Brandon Palinick hand delivers them to you right now. Dude, what if I could get him to sign one for me? Well, I mean, definitely throw that around, Pike. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you're gonna, what you're going to want to do is take it right out to the lake as soon as you get home. <laughs> um, uh, hey, side note, I caught a fish on a thunder cricket. Did you? Yeah, first fish I caught on it was a walleye. Nice. Yeah. I subsequently <laughs> caught several bass. Multi-species action. Yeah, baby. Um, so, uh, anyhow, that's uh, the Thunder Cricket update from Jody. Uh, the, Did you eat it? No, I put it back. I've oh. actually caught a, a number of number of walleye this year. Well, I lost a big one at Champlain on a spy bait. No, it wasn't on a spy bait. No, it was on a jerk bait. Uh, oh, last yeah. week. If I'd had a net, or if I tried really hard, I could have got it in. But I had it snagged, kind of funny, and I was just like kind of wailing on it, and it came off. Uh, I got you. Um, but anyhow, and also I caught that one on a thunder cricket, and also at that river in New York I fished, I caught two: one on a chatterbait and one on a crankbait. Uh, so hmm. I'm basically a walleye pro. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, you're you're pretty much dialed. Uh, I have released all of them because I don't like cleaning fish. <laughs> um, That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, but I guess I'll do it. I would say. I think so. Podcast at flwfishing.com If you want to send us emails. Um, yeah, man. Questions, comments, concerns. We just love hearing from you. Yeah. So hit us up. flwfishing.com is also a great place to be for a variety of news and opinions. Uh, and uh, facts about bass Ooh, fishing. You should. Uh, I'm a little late on this, but with regards to sending us an email, once all this iCast stuff comes out, maybe send us in what you thought was um, something you enjoyed seeing. Or if you email us relatively quick after listening to this, uh, maybe there's some things you want me to try to get some more info on. I think I can do that moving around the show floor. Yes, feel free to give Kyle work. I will be catching bass. <laughs> Kyle lives to serve you, the listener. Yep. I'm here. I'm here for you, man. Uh, so yeah, podcast at FLW Fishing. Hit us up if you want him to just film like a 20 minute long video about whatever pr- the product is, his thoughts, things like that. Just send your phone number along, and he'll text it to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I give you a custom video. Yes. Um, look, I know people do that for me, Kyle. I'm sure you'll do that for the fans. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyhow, that's uh, that's about that. Obviously, FLW has a variety of social medias. Shout out to Peter T and some other people for being back-to-back ICAST Cup champions. Yeah. Um, you know, I like that the ICAST Cup has turned into kind of like a weird little 
Florida summertime bragging rights deal. Because, uh, like, basically the only people who get up for it are the people who are fishing it and don't know what they're doing and are just, like, flying in for the show. And then yep. the folks who actually live in Florida and, like, went and pre-fished. And I love that. Yep. Uh, yep. So, anyway, that happened. You can read about it at FLWFishing.com. And uh, I'm going to go uh, work on my trolling. Well, I'm not going to work on my trolling motor. I'm going to install uh, some cross-branded graphs to my trolling motor. Then uh-huh. I'm going to go do some landscaping work. Now the shadows have lengthened. Ah, good uh, good call. Uh, I'm going to go find some dinner and schmooze with people in the industry. So, All right. That's, uh, that's probably... Oh, uh, by the way, we might have a podcast. Uh, Kurt and I might do one like Thursday maybe. Kind of like an iCast, what you see, what I see, what do we think. Uh, we could maybe phone you in, Jody, or we could just next week uh, continue on about it. Yeah. We'll film it, probably send it to you uh, if it gets posted. Cool. If not, whatever. Well, you know, I live to post podcasts. Um, I definitely could be available for that. I also might not be. Um, my last question for you, Kyle, is do you want me to send you photos of every fish I catch? Just the big ones? None of them at all? <laughs> Uh, just the big ones. I still want to feel connected to fishing. Okay. Uh, even though I'll be talking about it nonstop for the, uh, next several days. But yeah. Um, ooh, I also forgot to mention, uh, Drew and I are fishing a, uh, Tiny Boats in Minnesota tournament on Sunday. Uh, now, is so that an be prepared actual... for results next week. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, dude. Is that like an, a, is that like a tournament circuit or is this like drew and one Uh, friend of his no 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 it's like an actual like they have a facebook group uh it's like you have to have a boat that's 16 11 or shorter 16 feet 11 inches or shorter personally but and uh only like a 50 horse max uh drew has a 14 foot boat with a 25 Uh, he's actually got it decked out pretty sweet for fishing so we're gonna go jump in this derby uh on cedar lake down in faribault and see if we can't uh Try to win us a little bit of money. I think I might have fished there. Um, it's I fished it one time like nine years ago. Hey, I can't even remember what it was like. A question for you: Do you think a hundred bucks for a twelve foot John boat that has leaks is a good deal? Uh, no. Okay. Do you think? Because coming from a guy that has a John boat with leaks, are they hard to fix? It's a pain in the butt to try to stop them. Okay. I you see. That's the thing I don't know is how hard they are to fix because. We've been through this saga of Jody wants to fish places he can't put a boat, and I obviously am not going to stoop to a kayak. <laughs> uh, but I'm considering <laughs> yeah, purchasing a John boat to fish one lake, uh, and I, I don't know, man, hundred bucks. Can't you get like a Can't you get like a brand new tracker for like three hundred bucks? Well, I don't know, but that seems if I can actually get one for three hundred bucks, that seems like the move. But you know who had a has a John boat with a trolling motor that might be for sale? Mike Long. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I think shipping would be just out the wazoo to go from California. <laughs> it, it probably would, but I, I bet I bet he's got a boat for sale. Oh man, you know I really should finish reading that article sometime. <laughs> oh God, Kyle, 
you know what? I hope everyone listened to the end of this podcast because that was probably I, I the, do too. No, that was probably the best thing that is going to happen all week in the entire fishing industry. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, so anyway, congratulations on that, Kyle. Thank you so much for uh, talking with me, and I hope you have a lovely yeah. evening. Have fun fishing. Uh, everyone else, enjoy. Uh, we'll chat with you next week, hopefully. See you. One of these episodes, I'll learn how to talk. That's ah, okay. <laughs>